Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, readers and listeners, this is the PRC Show. I'm your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. This is episode 007 of Reading Parting the Waters. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven for Big Ben. Steelers are having a playoff game today, which they will probably lose. We'll find out. You already know the answer to that. Um, But we are covering America in the King Years, uh, Taylor Branch's book about the Civil Rights Movement, 1954 to 1963. We are going to go into Chapter 8, Shades of Politics, which I do not like politics. I don't like politics. You don't talk about politics and religion, Gabe. You don't. (laughs) Which is a funny uh, frame for this whole podcast, I guess, because it's all about politics. It's all about religion. It's all about uh, social history. That's true. It is politics and religion. But what I mean is I don't like horse race, which we're going to get into. Horse race, wolf blitzer, that type of politics, which is going to play a part in here. And it is important. But let's get right to the letters. This show has been so wildly successful. There's only maybe 30 or 40 people listening to this show, or there could be millions. Nobody knows. And I got a letter here from a woman, Phyllis, in Portsmouth, Ohio. She says she's a big fan of the show. She um, loves uh, Gabe's voice. She even thinks that I have a good... thank you, Phyllis. Yeah, I have a charisma. But she said, I was really annoyed at the end of episode four when the music comes in very loudly. And she said, whoever is producing the show... That person needs to take an audio class because they did a terrible job. Well, that was me, and I'm sorry it won't happen again. Anyways, we got another letter from Bruce in Lorraine, and he says, this is, okay, Bruce. He goes, can we please have more discussion of the Kennedys and the importance of politics? It's the Democrats who save the day, isn't it? That's what I was always taught. Well, Bruce, you're going to learn a little bit here, and um, I don't think I agree with you, but, you know, there's a little bit of... uh, some debate we can have there. So on this episode, uh, again, chapter eight, Shades of Politics, it's called, we're going to learn about who gets blackmailed, who I think is a slimy but kind of on the right side of history politician. We are going to meet DSA founder Michael Harrington. We are going to learn about another saint type figure who was not religious but is spiritual. And then what I consider we're going to learn or meet a Robert Greats, meaning a kind of naive type character who doesn't know what he's getting into in this civil rights stuff. And some, Maybe not suicidally naive like Greats. <laughs> yeah, Greats is like in naive there, the, in the dictionary, like there should be a picture of him. <laughs> Robert Greats. What a lovable man, though. Love him. Amazing. Um God, I just when he was just spilling his guts about, yeah, they love me, the NAACP. (laughs) Um, And then we're going to learn about some NBC corruption. And I'm not talking about the television corporation. Politics are boring. Let's skip it. No, 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 no. Okay, so chapter starts with Belafonte kind of orchestrating this meeting. I think this is how it starts with Kennedy. And once again, such an impressive guy, so shrewd, so clever. He's his, and it, it's not his day job. His day job is to be an uh, amazing star, and yet he's got the, the, all these political insights and such a uh, such a remarkable figure. Yeah, and doesn't he? Um, does Kennedy go to his apartment or something? Like, he's, right? He just rolls up and says. Explain it to me. Yeah, yeah. He explains it to him, Harry, and, Belafo- and, and he does. And he and, and and Kennedy's like, oh, so he is important, I guess. He's like, yes, you have to meet with him. 
Um, Kennedy seems to be studying King, which is really what you want Smart. someone to do. I, this is not my field. Explain it to me. Break it down for me. Uh, there's also this character, Harris Wolford, who's Kennedy's campaign manager, becomes a chief of staff or something. I don't know if that's his exact title, but he's like also he's the liaison to the civil rights movement and becomes friendly with King. So King meets with Harry Belaf- uh with Kennedy in. Uh, I think it's Belafonte's apartment. That, that's where he goes. And they have like an hour long meeting. And at the end of it, it doesn't go great for for King's impression of Kennedy. He basically thinks that Kennedy's somewhat aloof to the civil rights struggle. Um, but Kennedy, I don't know, what do what does Kennedy glean from from King? They just have this meeting and it's like, okay. I mean, Ke- Kennedy wants King to support him. And that's his goal. And But it, he's not leaning in like well, Nixon's in a different position. He doesn't impress him like Nixon does. Right. So I mean Nixon has this uh, this kind of energy that he just pours into the person he's talking to, which makes King think either this person is really sincere or he's a megalomaniac mm-hmm. monster. Um, you know, no prize for guessing, which uh, right. Taylor but, but Branch Ken- thinks is the case. But but I think Kennedy's approach is sort of diligent and focused, but also I, I think his style and just his persona was to have some more personal distance. And Yes, that's, and that's how it comes across. I think King is also being extremely careful because King is aware of not wanting to be used politically. So they don't fall into each other's arms exactly. Oh my god, hold on. Why did that? <laughs> okay. I'll edit that out. So there's getting back to politics. I was not expecting that. Neither <laughs> was I. Um, getting back to politics, there's the, De- the uh, Democratic National Convention is being held in LA. And A. Philip Randolph and Rustin are going out there to demonstrate to shine a light on civil rights and say, this is an important issue. This cannot be, uh, this has to be addressed. And for whatever reason, Adam Clayton Powell, congressman from New York, New York city, uh, he, I don't know if he's being just a loyal Democrat, but he's like, no, you guys cannot be out there. You can't be tarnishing the Democrats. Um, and if you do this, I'm going to put out in the press that King and Rustin have been having a homosexual affair. Randolph is kind of calls Powell's bluff and it's like, who cares? Like, no, forget it. The way the scene plays out is King is in South America on some Baptist trip or I don't know, vacation. And he's trying to get through to Rustin and there's this awkward conversation and they don't come out and say, Hey, they're going to say we're having sex, but they say like, yeah, this is kind of an issue. And he ends up getting a call through to Randolph again. And he's just like, whatever, who cares? Like, just let's, it doesn't matter. Like that's not going to happen. Is that the way you kind of read it? I mean, but it's a, it's very like, this is very fearful. And there, he, he spends a lot of 
heartbeats and ang- right. anxiety over it. Right. A- Adam Clayton Powell is being a bruiser. He's being a he's being a thug. He's trying to coerce. Um, Slimy acts number one the, in this the, chapter the, for him because the, there's going to be the another activist. one later. And he's doing it for reasons of self-interest, which Branch gets into. Right. He is under pressure inside oh, because New of York the Democratic politics. That's right. I miss that. He's been. Uh, Engage in this criticism of a, a very complicated uh, police corruption scandal. Right. He, he's also concerned about losing his chairmanship, and he wants to be the first black congressman to chair. It's a, all self-interest. A it has nothing to do with being a loyal Democrat and trying to get Kennedy right. elected. It's all about, um, yeah, his own right. his own peril. He 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 also split with the Democratic Party. Over uh, supporting Eisenhower, which we talked about before, so we know that there are some Democrats in New York who want to uh, push him out. So for all all these reasons, he wants to assert his, as you say, sort of loyalty to the party. He's also trying to do a favor, interestingly, to George Meany at the AFL CIO because Meany has been under pressure from Randolph uh, over segregation and discrimination in some unions, right? And so he's trying to drop the hammer on these guys and remove this uh, controversy outside the convention. And he's going to do it in the most grotesque, coercive way he can think of. So he's a jerk, but they go forward anyways. July 11th, 1960, about 5,000 people are out there picketing, holding signs, calling attention to civil rights. And just to lift off Randolph for a second, Randolph has done this before, right? Randolph has picketed the Democratic National Convention before. Randolph was prepared to organize a march on Washington. Randolph, badass. Badass. A a bridge of, uh, yeah. I mean, he's a little old at this point, but thank God he existed. And there's there's actually a wrinkle here where King, who is starting to panic about, wait, if they say that I'm in a homosexual affair with Rustin, maybe we should cancel the picket. Randolph says, well, I'm going to picket. The Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters are right. picket, and if you don't show up, I'll just say, "Well, you're not there because Adam Clayton Powell didn't want you to be there." Yes, right. This is why Randolph's also smart and he's tough. Cool. He's yeah. tough too, right? He, he, I'm doing he, it, man. So just come on board, or else I'm gonna have to say that you're not down for picketing. I'll, I'll blame it on, yeah, I'll blame it right. on Powell. I mean, I, we're all here fighting for civil rights. Dr. King chose not to. That you go talk to him. God, about that. Randolph is so cool, so cool, impressive. So, and then, so out there, uh, just a little. I'm gonna say not that important, maybe. Maybe Gabe will disagree because of his life history. King runs into Michael Harrington. It's, it's really the the hinge of the whole book. It's <laughs> it's not important, but it, <laughs> it's uh, so he runs into Michael Harrington, who um, he he's a, a non communist socialist. Who his backstory? Let's see. We'll get a little, just to mention it. He uh, is important in the '60s. He forms the DSA. He writes a book called uh, Say It. It's big. He wrote a lot of How books. the Other Half Lives or something like that. The poverty book. He wrote a lot. But um, anyways, he's on the picket line. They talk about Christianity, Hegel, Max Weber, socialist theory. Um, Harrington sees King as a socialist. Uh, they're hitting it off. They're having a good conversation. Just a little colorful, fun aspect. Um, and then Branch just goes into a lot of stuff about JFK, LBJ, the story behind... The Other America, that's what it's The called. Other America. The Other America, yeah. A, a book about poverty. And actually, I would recommend watching a William F. Buckley, if you really want to be bored, but I think it's fascinating, a William F. Buckley, it's a 48-minute thing with um, on Firing Line with uh, Harrington, I just recently watched, where, I'm sorry, Buckley doesn't seem smart in it, and Harrington does, and... 
Buckley just seems like a jerk. Um, and Harrington seems just like a nerdy, frumpy kind of socialist guy that's smart. Anyways, so there's all this stuff about the JFK, LBJ, how he gets the nomination, the story there. They hate each other. Um, Kennedy gives a decent speech at the the convention. It's a very like pro-America, a restore America's prestige. He doesn't mention civil rights. He mentions like Britain a bunch of times and Lloyd George and moving the country forward. And I like want to vomit when I'm reading this stuff because I don't care. And it's like, I don't know if it's like branch like, I mean, he's criticizing Kennedy a little bit. Um, you want to speak about this well, part at all? So, these these next two chapters, which talk about the 1960 campaign and the politics of who is the nominee, it's really strange to think about from 2022 because the contours of the politics and the coalitions are just so peculiar. Yeah. That there are liberals in both parties, that there are yeah. racists and reactionaries in both parties. There are... Um, black people in both parties that and they're both having to figure out how to win black votes in the north jackie robinson's with, a republican while also you know, competing yeah. uh, in segregated white supremacist politics in 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 the south F- from that perspective it's just like the lessons we learned about how politics work today are only take us so far in trying to even understand this so Malcolm, another little tidbit, really. Malcolm X invites King to hear Elijah Muhammad speak. And King's like, um, dear Mr. X, thank you, uh, but I'm not interested at the time. Uh, King comes back from L.A., preaches in Ebenezer, then goes to Buffalo for uh, a National Baptist conven- Convention meeting. Um, and meanwhile nixon is leading the party and he's viewed as the leader of the republican left in opposition to goldwater who people think is like a a fringe far right guy ike watches the convention ike is president eisenhower he watches the convention from home and he's like really happy to see frederick morrow is going to speak at the convention it's a black guy part of uh i guess ike's cabinet or whatever and um, the networks, <laughs> the network, the, the Republicans are going to have this guy speak. And then TV's like, you know what? We're not going to put the black guy on TV. And Ike's like upset. Like, come on. This is we're we're showing how we're moving forward. But no, he's he doesn't get on TV. Uh, King returns to Atlanta thinking there's not much difference between Kennedy and Nixon on civil rights. But a lot of his friends are like, listen, Kennedy's probably better. You should, we should be for Kennedy. Um and at this time, two drugstore chains, I'm moving all around here, two drugstore chains based in Virginia agreed to end lunch counter segregation, you know, due to all these student protests. So students come in, at, uh, some students in Atlanta come to King worried about, okay, we're going to get into uh, Moses here. Some students come to King worried about there being a communist in their group. This is funny. So, hey, uh, uh, Dr. King, there's this uh, little guy. He's a little bit older, like in his mid-20s. He's sophisticated. He has some strange habits. Can you kind of suss him out and see if he's a communist? He's, he came down here to volunteer, but I don't know. It just seems a little weird. And this is Bob Moses. So they meet, and there's this weird conversation. It's a slow conversation with long silences. Both didn't care to dwell on the loyalty investigation, but they knew that was clearly what it was about. King was respectful not to make any accusations. 
Um, Moses is like this frail, bespeckled, soft-spoken guy, like almost whispers, but has a strong branches, a strong presence of an Eastern mystic. There was something odd about him. Uh, Branch says, though, also something soothing and spiritual depth him. Uh, he was the son of a Baptist preacher, uh, a suspected Marxist, but beneath the trappings of rank, the two men were natural competitors in the realms of politics and religion. Uh, and Branch says they were destined to become opposing symbols for the holy wars within the civil rights movement. Their personality struck deep notes that were so close together as to be unbearably dissonant. So when two notes are really close, sounds odd. Never never and certainly not at their first strained meetings where they took knowledge, the range of similarities between them. This is a little bit surprising to me that there's this... uh, We're going to learn about Bob Moses because he is like a saint, but it's weird that they're not like buddy-buddy. Um... If you want to speak, you want to speak now, or I'm going to go more into Moses. But go ahead. Well, this is an intriguing scene uh, in a lot of ways. It, it's almost like watching a play, and the the depth of the the characters and what we know about what becomes of them is sort of obviously informing the way that um, Branch is writing this. But so so why are they not buddy buddy? Why are they why are they not friends yeah go ahead well for one king is ultimately trying to interrogate and and dominate uh moses he's he is trying to correct him from getting involved with the southern conference um education fund yeah and so just to point out the southern conference education fund is a there might be some communist ties there. Basically, I was going to mention this. Moses goes down there and he's trying to help out, but he gets bored. So he goes to this picket line at this grocery store because they're not hiring uh, black cashiers, essentially. And the, and the fellow students are like, wait a minute, you shouldn't be associating with this group because there's known communist ties. And also you're a little bit weird. Right. So he's trying to discipline um, Moses, but he's trying to do it in a kind of... Um, low-key way but moses is even more low-key <laughs> to the point of, of right. engaging in passive resistance in the conversation <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it yeah. um, <laughs> and it seems like he's branch doesn't say this but it sounds like he's impressing king with his demeanor and his intelligence well he's also frustrating king with his demeanor and intelligence that he's uh he understands he's under the discipline of the SCLC so long as he's an intern with the SCLC, but he's also not agreeing with King. Um, and you know, the uh, branch writes that it, um, the meeting ends on um, a note of artificial agreement. And it ultimately is, a, I think, an illustration of different attitudes about authority. Interesting. Yeah. How much is it that? How much is it the personality? Let me get through this bio and then we can continue or well, move on. Go ahead. Just just one final note. Um, it This uh, this sort of um, warning, um, it's like an echo of an echo of red baiting around the... Because Rustin is more of a pariah if you think about it. He, he's trying to impose on Moses a standard he doesn't hold for himself. In other words, 
like being around people who at some point may have been around people who may have at some point been communists is obviously not <laughs> something that yeah. King himself is that uh, uh, like ca- most, like or, or uh, hygienic about. But he's he's trying to, uh, I think, just assert authority and power. I agree with you, and I would also add that I think Rustin gets away with not getting this treatment because I said before I think he must have just exude such charisma and charm that it like and and Moses is like this softer spoken guy, whatever that it it doesn't seem to his past baggage doesn't it doesn't bother him. In fact, he's always trying to bring Rustin in every single turn. Right. Bring him in. Bring the, the, the ex-communist convict homosexual in. I don't care. <laughs> right. Um, he must be just like the coolest guy ever, but he, which, he, which he kind of is. Okay, so let's get to the little more Moses bio. So this is where Moses really, this is where Branch really shines. Not for Ella Baker. Shame on you, Taylor Branch. You should know better by now. I guess you already wrote this book 30 years ago. Moses was 25 and six years younger than King. He was born and raised in Harlem, marked by an extremely sensitive childhood. He went to school for the gifted, distinguished himself by developing a taste for his own works of, a, of Chinese philosophy, Lao Tiz, I guess is how you say it. His grandfather was a leader in the National Baptist Convention. His parents encouraged his son's bookish proclivities and inculcated him to attend a better white college as opposed to the traditional black ones. He goes to Hamilton College up in upstate New York. He's one of only three black students there. He gravitates towards these integrated Christian study groups where they go to New York City and they preach. They do like soapbox preaching. Uh, Some of them are kooks, it sounds like. He becomes a philosophy major. He reads Camus in French. He renews his study in Eastern philosophers. He gets interested in pacifism. He went to France and Japan, ended up in a workshop with a Zen Buddhist monk. I mean, what a lovely life this guy's leading here. In 1956, he gets accepted into Harvard's PhD program. Again, pretty impressive. Black guy, PhD, Harvard, philosophy department. Moses gets interested in Paul Tillich. If we remember, he's the one that King emailed. That joke's always going to be funny, the email. Moses gets interested, and uh, Paul Tillich is a contemporary of uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. Moses gets interested in analytical philosophy, which is kind of like using uh, words as numbers and logic, um, equations, notations, and stuff like that. In 1958, he's well on his way with his doctorate when, like, this big tragedy occurs, like a double whammy. So this is where he's really a saint because, okay, his mom dies awful. Then his dad goes crazy over it, and he basically takes off school. His dad like is in the streets rambling and raving. He goes to Bellevue Hospital, which is like a psychiatric hospital in New York City, and he just takes off time to like go help with his dad's recovery. Um, makes me feel bad about my own relationship. My dad. <laughs> my dad's not crazy, but like, what a great son. Okay, so so while he's in New York, he meets up with the committee to defend Martin Luther King. Who's who's running that committee, Gabe? Have you done the reading? Baird Rustin. Baird Rustin. Very good. Good for you, buddy. Baird, Baird <laughs> Rustin and Stanley Levison like to create committees. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, As yeah. does Ella Baker. So, her great again, Baird Rustin, superhero, big hero of our show. It's like, hey, man. I feel like I should say something here just on Bob Moses to compliment um, your remark about Diane Nash's appearance in the previous episode, which is just to say that I think Bob Moses is the most gorgeous of all the men 
He might be. In the Silver, I think he's unbelievably handsome. Oh my god, I have to. You know what? I'm glad you brought this up because yeah, he's he's easy on the eyes for sure. Good looking guy. Um, okay, I swear, I, I I wanted to get this for certain, but I'm I didn't know if this occurred or not. In the year 2001, I was involved. We're talking about student activism. I went to a the United States Student Association was a is a kind of progressive student organization that lobbies for funding and things like that. They had a conference in Washington D.C. and my student group went there. I was part of a student group that went with as a coalition of people. And I swear to God, I'm sitting at a table there and there's a speaker and they call out there's like an older black guy sitting at my table and I swear to God it was Bob Moses. And at the time, I got chills, and I didn't really know much about him, but I knew enough from reading Howard Zinn and my... I was only 20 years old at the time. I knew enough that, like, wait, this was like a guy that was, like, registering people in a vote and getting beat on and all that stuff. And I swear to God, he was sitting right next to me, and I need to find the document to see if he spoke or he just happened to be there. He was definitely alive at the time. And um, so I'm pretty sure I was sitting next to Bob Moses, which is pretty cool. Okay, so Bayard Rustin says, listen... Again, he's like in his 20s. Rustin's in his 40s. Uh, I'm going to hook you up with Baker. You need to go down to meet up with King and do some SCLC work. But it's actually unclear to me if it's SCLC or SNCC work. But just head down to Atlanta, do some voter registration. He, he wants him to do some work with the SCLC. Yeah. So when he gets down there, we just mentioned this, there's not really a beehive of activity. It's kind of dull. It's not a lot of staff. So that's when he gets the charge of the associating with the communists because he just goes on this... Uh, free, there, you know, there's this little active act, activity with um, the cashiers. So that's when the meeting occurs. Well, it's, it's not just that it's dull. The, the organization barely exists. It, it's the, the SCLC is what, three phones? Right. There's a secretary. Jane, Jane Stainbridge, there's the a, secretary. There's, there's a SNCC person who ends up getting told to go to another building. There's no center. He's, he's expecting to see this movement in the making. And it's there's really nothing there. Right, right. Um, oh, right. Let me see. I'm lost in my notes. So yeah, he gets bored and he, he starts participating in those things. Uh, I have this note. King might have felt cool towards Moses because of his friend. Oh, he might have felt cool towards Moses because of the friendship with Ella Baker. Mm. Maybe that could also be a contributing factor. Also. Moses wasn't keen on Walker, so maybe there was some, you know, criticizing that. So the conversation ends. It seems like his 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 energy on the earth is like the other, it's like the polar opposite yeah. from Wyatt T. Walker. Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely for sure. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. So Jane Stainbridge is a secretary uh, at the SCLC. She advises Moses, and probably with Baker, I think, actually, to go to unrepresented states in the South and register people to vote and help build the group. And Baker is like, so he goes solo by himself to Talladega, Birmingham, uh, Cleveland, Mississippi. He's like writing (laughs) writing emails, writing letters back to Stainbridge. um, And he's having a great time and he's feeling good about it. And... uh, let me just read a little. So, th- go ahead. That thing that Stainbridge does, that's what organizing is. Go to the place where there's not activity going on. Go get people involved there. That's an important thing to right. do. Right, and 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 another. Um, you know, I'm glad you bring that up because Stainbridge is not a big character in this book, and it's like, is it because she's a woman? Because. Uh, 
she's mentioned she cannot not be mentioned because he's communicating with her but she really is just re- relegated as like she's just the secretary it's like what is she like it sounds like she's using her brain and she's not just like licking stamps you know what i mean um so following the direction of ella baker he begins working in mississippi becomes director i might be jumping ahead of the project but this is i just want to some us, you know, the, the the SNICS Mississippi project in '61. That's ahead of the time. This is bef- this is outside the book. But we got to understand here that uh, this, by the way, is a, a dynamic of this story that I I'm just constantly uh, intrigued by. Is how there are these people who are outside of the right kind of cast. They're not pastors. They're not men. Who's Stainbridge or, or Moses? Just, just in general, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you can make a connection between these people who are either the wrong gender or the wrong sexuality or the wrong politics, but who have these skills and end up being unbelievably important to the movement, right? And uh, she, she might be one of them, right? Certainly Baker is, certainly Rust yes, is. Yes, yes. Levison, go on. Anyway. So um, the, the, the problem is, you know, Black people couldn't vote in the South because there were poll taxes. There was this whole political process, residency requirements, literacy tests. Uh, it was nearly impossible to register and vote. So that's what, uh, you know, um, Moses was going down there to do. Uh, and he's corresponding with Stainbridge. Uh, back to, we're going to change gears here. And we're going to go back to D.C., sort of. And this is where my Robert Greats character comes back in. We can talk about him. So this this is the summer of 1960. Uh, there's this lanky guy named John Doar who's in a, he works for the Attorney General, of the State Department. I don't know how that works. He's like he's he's a he's a lawyer from Wisconsin, and I think him being from Wisconsin is maybe important or just an interesting little bit because he's like not necessarily a liberal radical, and he's but he's assigned to the Civil Rights Division. He's a Republican. Oh yeah, okay, that's right. He's a he's a kind of a mainstream Republican. Um, Not much work is being done, and he's noticing that sharecroppers are being evicted when they register to vote in Tennessee, or he's he's catching wind of this. And he's told that he should just not care about this, and that what's the the, uh, police are to to catch the thieves and prosecutors are to prosecute. Don't go investigating this stuff. Is that the line, Gabe? So he... This is something that... um, J. Edgar Hoover insists on. He, he he wants to have stay in your lane. Exactly. He want he he wants the work in the field to be the province of the FBI. But Door uh, Door is like interested in this, here. and he's like bored, and he's like, "What? This is this, something's wrong going on." So he goes to Tennessee to meet with like a church full of um, upset black folks that's sort of like, "Yeah, we're being evicted from our land. We try to when we try to like register to vote." Um, and to him, he's like, wait, is, who, who else has this happened to? And it's like everybody. So he gets drawn into this civil rights work by coincidence, kind of. And, you know, uh, I don't know what else to say about it, but it's just like interesting because it's not, this wasn't his cause to fight for, but just because he's a decent human being, he sees this as the right thing to do. Okay, so now we're going to, you. any more comments on Door? Okay, so now we're going to do a little setback for King. So there's a lot of back and forth, but it's essentially, oh, the Baptist Convention. I got to take a break. (laughs) Um, We're going to take a quick musical break, and we will get back to some corruption and baptism.
All right, I hope you enjoyed that music. It was something I probably recorded. NBC, the National Baptist Convention. King, I'll counter what I said before. He's looking for power. He wants to consolidate power. Here he goes. So he sees the National Baptist Convention is occurring, and he says, hey, J.H. Jackson, who's pretty lame as our president, it's time for him to step down and go. Uh, let's get, he's not for civil rights. He, he, he's just a conservative. Um, let's get Taylor in. This guy Taylor, I forget his first name. He's pro-civil rights. He wants to take action. So there's a convention in Philadelphia. It ends up becoming a giant disaster. So Branch spends a bunch of pages on this. And what happens is there's a storming on the floor. Uh, the Taylorites end up winning, it looks like, the uh, the vote count where Taylor is going to become the, the next head of the National Baptist Convention. But through some ruckus and noise and all that stuff, Jackson's lieutenants claim they won. He then leaves and the, 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 the meeting is closed. It ends up the, the next day of the convention is now canceled and there's all this like pomp and circumstance of like choirs that are going to sing. It's supposed to be this like fun, big thing. And um, they do a count, you know, let's count the ballots. Taylor wins by a vote count of like 1,800 to 500. So that seems like a good thing for King, but I don't understand how this ends up happening because of some legal stuff within the in the convention jackson ends up if you remember this jackson ends up retaining office um well i i I think there are um equal and opposite opposing legal motions yeah it becomes really complicated and and obviously the white judges are not experts that's right on how to um sort out a dispute inside a black church organization and I, I think that the Jackson side is outnumbered, but they're just totally recalcitrant and they refuse to give up the records and the documents and the control of the board. And so the organization is hopelessly split. Yeah, there's nothing they can do. And I think Branch says this earlier. It's like, you know, the Billy Graham's more likely to join the civil rights cause than Jackson. So so be it. So Branch does his, his historical context thing again, which some people find annoying, but here I think I like it because he says, um, he talks about, there's this little scene where Vernon Johns goes to a Baptist, another convention. It's more, there's white people there. He just like chastises the people there because they're focused on heaven and the afterlife. And he's like, we need to, we need to focus on here. You're so focused on what we do when we die. What about what's going on right now? What would Jesus be doing? Um, super critical of them. And almost causes like a scene. It's, maybe it's embarrassing to all the people there. It's, but he's he's saying the right things. He's like, cool. Uh, and then Branch just kind of says like, no one's paying attention to really this stuff in the in the national press or most people. It's like Bob Bob Moses is doing this stuff. Vernon Johns is criticizing white preachers. John Doerr is prosecuting. You know, kind of taking up um, you know the the cause of voter registration in uh, Tennessee and. The big issue is there might be a papist in the White House. My God, we can't have this. So like, it's all about the Roman Catholics. Uh, you know, John John F. Kennedy is a Catholic. And then the other issue is um, let's not talk about civil rights. There's like this gentleman's agreement between uh, Nixon, the way 
the way Branch does, that they're, they're going to really not talk about that issue and keep it a low profile. And it becomes it, foreign not, policy. It, it's not in the interest of either one of them. That's right. It's not interest of either one of them to be bringing this up. And then Kennedy becomes like this hawk. This is why I don't care about this stuff. It's so get upset talking about it. <laughs> There's this like, you know, Kennedy tries to be like a real um, macho war hawk on communism. And he out hawks Nixon, who seems more reasonable and that becomes like the debate. Meanwhile, like there's this giant issue in America that is really happening. Thoughts, Gabe? Well, it's annoying. Um, <laughs> you know, because um, we, we got to get through this this presidential politics stuff. Right. Because I mean, this is this is now, and and it's also like King and and the civil rights. Like, who should we support? Like, they're not even talking about us. They're talking about Russia. They're talking about Cuba. Um, Kennedy's like. We have a plan to go in there, and he sure certainly did. <laughs> but um, I mean, look, that just because the focus of electoral politics is not on the issue you care about doesn't necessarily mean that it's not important to your issue, but it also doesn't mean that your issue won't influence the politics as we're about to find out. So it's super important, and I guess it's super important. So there's this little sleaze sleaze part again about Powell who Kennedy wants to get the black vote and he wants Powell to support him and come out because again he supported Eisenhower years back and through one of JFK's emissaries I forget his name it's not Wolford at the time it's somebody else I Wal- think is uh, it? Shriver and, and Wofford are the, are the team yeah. on the Kennedy campaign yeah. who are responsible for engaging uh, black people and Powell's like, I'll do it for $300,000 in cash. And that sounds crazy, but he's actually kind of smart because he ends up getting some cash. So JFK's like, how about 50000 And Powell's like, hmm, sounds good. And then Kennedy's like... In you return get, for 10 speeches. You got to give me 10 speeches. So I'll give okay. you 5000 for each speech. 5000 bucks in cash. I mean... If this doesn't make you jaded with politics, I mean, I don't know what will. So that plus the advertising in the black newspapers. Yes, right? that's correct. That's correct. So now let's move to Amzie Moore, NAACP civil rights activist. Uh, they, hold on, come October's the, the SNCC conference. He says, "Hey, I, I'm butchering some things up here, but I wanted to highlight this." Amzie Moore is a, a civil rights activist, comes to the SNCC convention, and he's like, hey, I think what we really need to focus on is voting rights. We need to register people to vote and focus on that. And people are like, yeah, that's kind of a good idea, I guess. Yeah. But then they're more excited about the demonstrations. Like, let's focus on demonstrations right. and civil disobedience. We, we, we have to stop here. Okay. I think Amzie Moore is a figure of titanic importance who should be celebrated like an, an Edie Nixon. Sounds good to me because it's not he's not in the book. I I, I think that there... But th- that that little thing there, like, that's when I, like, my radar went up. I was like, who is this guy? When he says we need to do boring, tedious work, that's what I'm all about. Boring, tedious work to, like, actually make material gains. And, 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 it, and Bob Moses meets him, sort of finds him. But he, he's running this, what, it's it's, it's at a garage mm-hmm. um, next door to his ex-wife's uh, beauty salon. <laughs> right. he, he's just an organic leader of 
the freedom struggle before it's even called the freedom struggle. He's one of the people with guts who stands up and has a vision of what change would look like in the same way that Edie Nixon was there before the young king arrives on on the scene. He's just one of these people who's an American hero as far oh, as Oh, absolutely. Except, absolutely. And wait, is he, where is he from originally? Is he... He's from Mississippi. Yeah, from Mississippi. So there's all this fuss about... And Moses, to his credit, recognizes who this person is, how serious he is, how grounded he is in the community, and what a vision he has. And so th- there's still this idea, which, I mean, they're not wrong. We need to do civil disobedience, jail, not bail. We need to fill up the jails. That's loss in pushing that. Um, uh, politics over Kennedy seeking King. And then there's this discussion about Kennedy trying to seek King's endorsement. All this back and forth between the emissaries. I don't know why I'm calling them that, but King wanting action from Kennedy. Kenny, Kennedy wanting, you know, some symbol of like, you're good. Oh, and then uh, this is, I like this. Levinson, super just smart guy. We got a nice letter from him. Celebrities asking King to back off pushing Kennedy, like Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra. They're being real jerks to King. I forget how this comes across, but they're like, come on, you need to be for Kennedy. Who are you? You're a jerk. Sinatra is saying, look, we're going to come and do an event to raise money for the civil rights movement. But if you want to support Kennedy, who we support, then maybe we won't show up for your right. concert. And Levinson writes this letter to King and says, since you are concentrating, he's like, this is ridiculous. Since you are concentrating on getting the vote in the South, the effectiveness of your effort could be diminished if you were identified as an adherent of one party. Sometimes I think these people see you too much as a personality of clamor, not as a leader whose responsibilities will continue over decades and through changes of grade great magnitude. Frank, Sammy, and the other guys are not intellectual leaders, nor moral leaders, so their decisions can be more easily arrived at without the singular weight that attaches to a decision or a stand by you. Levison is, of course, once again right, but we should say the one celebrity who is not like this is, of course, Belafonte. Harry Harry Belafonte, of course. Big brain on uh, Levison. I mean, I just love the way he writes that, too. What a great email. Um, anything, (laughs) anything else with this chapter? I don't have any other notes on chapter, um, nine. We can go into chapter or chapter eight. Um, well, let's roll on. I think these things fit together. Yeah. So chapter, a lot of words are, again, to me, it's a lot about this Kennedy King courtship. That's wrong term, but you know, so chapter nine, a pawn of history, October 19th, 1960, King is arrested when he and 80 demonstrators requ- requested um, service in eight different segregated establishments. Um, this is in a uh, Atlanta department store. Fif- and, this, and this has been a long time in the making, right? Yeah. The students want Dr. King to to get arrested with them. And he's toying with the idea we mentioned earlier. He's like, yeah, I like this. I like this, but I'm not sure if I should do this. I got all this baggage. I don't. I could get in trouble. I should get. I could get arrested. I don't know. Um but he does it. Um, he's invited to join the student organization in this Atlanta sit-in and ended up arrested alongside with students and local activists under a 1960 law that made refusing to leave private property a misdemeanor offense. Charges against 16 of the 51 protesters were dismissed at their first court appearance, but King, the most high-profile of the group, was held on charges that his arrest violated a term of state probation imposed earlier that year. 
um, he ends up getting sentenced to six months hard labor, which we'll get into. Uh, and then this is the whole miracle for Kennedy and all that stuff. So they get into they get into jail, and it's uh, this is a little bit old hat for King, I guess, but not so much. I mean, he gets arrested more, but it's kind of fun at the beginning. Um, I mean, there, his assistant Bernard Lee, maybe this is when he becomes his assistant, gets become his bunk buddy. Uh, the the black guards actually end up giving them like steaks, and it's you know you're in jail with MLK. And um, well, this is a little different because now he's I don't think he's been in jail overnight. He's been arrested. This is the first. Yeah, this is the first time before. But now, this is the first time. But, but now he's with the students. He's he's and, he, and he's doing it in Atlanta. Right. Which is the the sort of the fiefdom of his father and the, the, the sort of black bourgeoisie. So he's he's doing this thing with young people. He's taking a risk. Um, and, and now he's he's sleeping overnight in the prison. And I want to read the letter he sends his wife because it's just funny what he requests. Um, let me see here. So, you know, this is like a political football, I guess, of uh, how, how politicians respond to this and what the NAACP and what SLC, SLC are doing. So he's in jail and he sends um, he's in there for a couple days so far and he sends uh, Coretta. A letter says, um, today I find myself a long way from you and the children. I know this whole experience is very difficult for you to adjust to, especially in your condition of pregnancy. But as I said to you yesterday, this is the cross that we must bear for the freedom of our people. I have the faith to believe that this excessive suffering that is now coming to our family will in some little way serve to make Atlanta a better city, Georgia a better state, and America a better country. Just how, I do not know yet, but I have faith to believe it will. If I am correct, then our suffering is not in vain. I understand that everybody, white and colored, can have visitors this Sunday. I hope you can find some way to come down. Also, ask Wyatt to come. There are some very urgent things that I need to talk about with him. Please bring the following books to me. This is my fun. Um, So he wants to bring Stride Towards Freedom. Paul Tillich's Systematic Theology, Volumes 1 and 2, George Buttrick's The Parables of Jesus, E.S. Jones' Mahatma Gandhi, Horns and Halo, a Bible, a dictionary, and my reference dictionary called Increasing Your Word Power. This is my favorite part. (laughs) This book is an old book in a red cover, and it may be in the den or upstairs in one of my bags. (laughs) Also bring the following sermons from my file. Blah, blah, blah. Um, So... You know, he's hunkered down there. Uh, this is not scary yet because he's in this local jail. So, and he's with his, he's with his like buddies too. Like all these people that are like worshiping him and like, this is cool. But then it starts to not get cool because there's, now Gabe, you're going to have to help pick me up with some script writing here because I didn't take t- scrupulous notes. What ends up happening is a deal is struck that's going to get everybody out of jail. And we think King is going to be let out of jail too because of some politicians and deals and all that. And the kids do get out of jail, but then King ends up having to stay because of an old traffic violation, and that forces him to then go, he gets sentenced to hard labor and a road gang is what the plan is. And he gets shipped out of that to a prison, and that's where he starts to have these feelings of, like the first time he's just, oh crap, I'm going to be stuck with hard criminals, people that cut throats, maybe I'm not, who, this could be unsafe, this is very scary, oh my god. Well... It seems like this is a situation which is 
sl- in, in some ways it's slightly haphazard mm-hmm. that he happened to have had this case open against him because of a uh, a, a driving violation. Yeah. But critically, it's in another county and in a much more conservative county, which does not have uh, any liberal politics or, or moderate politics and does not have an established sort of black bourgeoisie. It's DeKalb County outside of Atlanta. Right. And but it seems like the the authorities there, certainly the judge, sees this opportunity to bring the hammer of the state down on King and wants to, and I think sort of makes the point that he's going to teach King to be a law-abiding uh, subject of the state. Exactly. And this is, again, late October, so the election's coming up in like two, two or three weeks. And so this is the part that I want to talk about hating because we have to give credit to the Kennedys, but the rest of the chapter is filled with Lewis Martin, who is a... He doesn't really get a, the royal treatment either from Branch, but he's an important guy. He was a black newspaper man. Um, I wrote down, because I looked at another source, and it was said that he was... People considered him the um, godfather of black politics. He ends up becoming an advisor to several presidents, uh, Kennedy and I'm guessing Johnson. Um so he's like a liaison between King, the civil rights movement, Wolford, and the Kennedys. And so he obviously wants to get King out. He also wants to help get Kennedy elected. And he's trying to figure out a way to get everything done here. Um, the Kennedys are not really interested in this. They don't want to be seen too close to like fighting for civil rights. So they're sort of disinterest, disinterested, but here's what I read, how I see this. Wolford and Martin kind of keep pushing this and keeping this on like the front burner in a way. Uh, and it, it there's this one scene where Martin is explaining this to Robert Kennedy. And Robert Kennedy is like so stressed out. He's, I don't know, he's running JFK's campaign. He's swearing, 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 really stressed out. And um, he's like, I don't care about this. Like, what? why do you keep bringing this up? Like, And he's like, well, he just got changed. He's going to do like a chain gang. Like, he has to go to like, uh, he's going to go to like a hard, tough prison. And Robert Kennedy's like, wait, what? Wait a second. Like, there's like this light bulb moment where RFK is like, wait, what? that sounds like an abuse of power. Like, what are you talking about here? And so Branch basically says like, this kind of changed RFK's view of it. Sure. There might've been some political views, but also like, I think he was deeply like, this is wrong. This is a wrong thing that's happening. Now, maybe please interrupt, interrupt me if you, if I'm making apologies and seem nicer than they are, because I don't want to. Um, but that, that little scene there seemed like kind of important. So that the tension in the Kennedy campaign that Shriver and Wofford are on the wrong side of for most of the campaign is the is the the struggle with the 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 toughs the realists the the ones who are saying look we are trying to uh, win back the White House after being out of power for eight years we're running with a young relatively inexperienced and Roman Catholic candidate we have to figure out how to win at any cost and of course we have to carry the South if we lose the South 
then this is over and Richard Nixon is president. That's why we have London Johnson on the ticket. So please shut up about civil right, rights. Right, right, right. And what are we trying to do here? We're trying to win an election. Now, and they're not buying the argument that there are um, black votes that we can gain in the North. They're just not buying it. They're concerned that there's polling. And I think what we've learned about the Kennedy campaign, it was one of the earliest um, sort of research-driven campaigns, that they're really concerned about losing the South. Okay. But we also see... And, and Bobby Kennedy has had this reputation as being fierce and um, sort of mission-driven and highly aggressive and, frankly, fairly right-wing um, in his personal politics um, so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems that he... he so he's, he's initially um, really... Dismissive, right? Well, worse than dismissive, he, he's... I think he's trying to control things, and he's extremely angry that uh, that Wofford and Shriver have created this uh, magical, or or later much 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 hyped, but ultimately two minute phone call mm-hmm. between John F. Kennedy and Coretta Scott King, right. to, just just to reach out and be human and and comfort King. Um, Jack Kennedy seems like he's willing to do it because he's he's tired. It's like you know what, it's the right thing to let's just do this. Hmm. RFK Robert is is initially outraged that they've maneuvered to do this because I think he knows full well that um, that the Tufts, the main leaders of the campaign, would not have allowed this, that, that they kind of went around the back door to get uh, the candidate to do it. But then when he realizes actually what's happening, arguably Robert Kennedy goes much further, which is, right, to, which right. is to call the judge, right. which may be legally so, yeah, unethical. So, so yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's go to that. Um, I, I want to read this little quote, though, because this is like a funny scene in the, I think it's in the airport, where, Sar- by the way, do you know anybody named Sergeant? Do, have you ever met anybody <laughs> named Sergeant? This man's, this man's first name is Sergeant. Like, that's a lot to live up to if you're, you can't be some measly, you know, whatever. Um, I think people got first names back then, which were not necessarily names. Yeah. So, uh, who meets with him? Wolford meets with Sergeant Shriver, and uh, Shriver kind of gives him the kind of fly spec attention lower aides usually get from officials standing within 30 feet of a candidate for president. In emergency shorthand, Wolford blurted out the, blurted out the headlines. King snatched off to state prison. No release from Van Diver, who's the governor. Coretta hysterical. The campaign civil rights office swamped with calls. He said he and Lewis Martin. Lewis Martin is the the black uh, uh, aide had given up the idea that Kennedy should make a public statement, but they had something simpler and less controversial in mind. If the senator would only call um, Mrs. King and wish her well, it would reverberate. It would reverberate all through the Negro community in the United States. Okay, so this is why I want to throw my book through the window and <laughs> destroy my house and scream because this does work, okay? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate this because it's like, I will lift a finger. This is what this is doing. This is lifting a finger. Okay, so okay, it's a little more than lifting a finger, but there's so much stuff that uh, political leaders could be doing. So what does uh, Kennedy do? He does call Coretta Scott King and kind of says like, hey, uh, really sorry about what's going on. 
you know, this is awful. I'm thinking about you. Wait, what does he say? It's like not even that. It's like a two-minute conversation. If there's anything um, I can do to help, I'm happy to help. She yeah. says, that's wonderful. Anything you can do would be very helpful. Yeah, and, I, it, and a, he says, like, I don't even, I don't know much about what's going on, but, like, he's just whatever. He says that. And um, then later on, Kennedy's shrewd, and he says, like, uh, hey, did you talk to the doctor? Like, Let's keep this quiet. Let's keep it quiet. Let's keep it quiet. And I guess to JFK's credit, he says, like, yeah, I did talk to Coretta. She's a friend of mine, which is not true. They never met. They never did meet, I think, in their whole life. So... Okay, now this is where RFK is a little bit better than K. As you said, he then goes. Well, well go ahead. Well, let's pause for a second. Yeah. So, it's acknowledged in the new, in the newspaper, in the, I think the New York Times, and he acknowledges it. He moves on. It's not a big story in the New York Times, Mm-mm. but critically, it's like it's like on page twenty two. It's like two sentences. Richard Nixon does not acknowledge that this is happening at all. Nixon doesn't do anything. So Nixon. Well, we're going to talk about the blue papers, right? But. Nixon, uh, according to Branch, has an analysis that says maybe he can break through and win in the Carolinas, right? And, of course, if you're a Republican and you can win the South away from the Democrats, there's no way for the Democrats mm-hmm. to win. So Nixon is now – he sort of finds himself in the position that Adlai Stevenson found himself in in the 50s. I don't want to upset the apple cart. I've got a chance to bring the, the – even though Nixon had ex- expressed – in uh, interest in, and, and sympathy for some of the aspects of the civil rights movement before, he is not going to say anything and do anything to upset his chances right. of stealing the Carolinas from the Democrats. And so critically has nothing to say at all right. about the imprisonment on unjust uh, charges of um, Martin Luther King in Georgia. And I'm glad you were paying attention to that because I get a little bit bored with this aspect of it admittedly. Um, and so... RFK, then King gets out of jail. And how does it happen? Um, the initial report is that uh, the judge just kind of changes his mind. And one of the aides goes to RFK and says, hey, we're going to deny in the press that you contacted the judge. Um, and, and RFK is like, no, don't retract that. I did make I did make this happen, and he's like, "Well, that's kind of well." He sort of she, he says he's sort of sheepish because he was he was yelling at the guy uh, uh, not long before. He's yeah. like, "Well, actually, maybe I did call him." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, right. It, it was me, and um, you know, good for him. Like, finally, some elected official, some major political figure, did something good." Uh, and so King gets out of jail, and then this is a little detail of the politicking, what I do find interesting. And that is the blue papers that they bomb. I think of them coming out of airplanes. I don't know why. But so this is clever. They they come up with this leaflet. It's basically to the black community. And it's through Sergeant Shriver somehow that they that Kennedys can distance themselves. And it's quoting, it's highlighting the conversation with Kennedy and Coretta Scott King. And then there's the it, it's titled "No Comment: Nixon versus a Candidate with a Heart." Senator Senator Kennedy, and it's on this like really light blue paper, and they print up a th- you know millions of them, and they distribute it, you know, into the areas to help you know get people to say, "Hey, look, this is the guy. This is the guy we need to be voting for," and this ends up seeming to work because ultimately. It's a very, very close election, super, super, super close, and Kennedy ends up winning, and he ends up winning um, in some important areas where, you know, Eisenhower won before. 
And we're so happy that Kennedy won because now civil rights will be ushered in. <laughs> See, th- th- I guess this is this is my problem, which I I, I complained to Gabe earlier about uh, not liking the politics aspect of it because. Yes, it's important. Uh, you know, we see that we have not a complete jerk in the White House now. Um, but I don't care about Kennedy winning. He's not going to change anything still. It, it's again, it's a little symbolic to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the 1957 civil rights uh, bill. No, well, he, here's how it's different. And, the, and, and, sure. the, and, and this is where Branch, I think, brings it home at the end of chapter nine, where he says, look, this is not an obscure matter anymore like what the politics at the national baptist conference because of the imprisonment of dr king because of this these campaign tactics um we've now picked the leader of the free world and from this point on dr king and what dr king is doing for better or worse how people relate to him for better or worse is going to be at the top tier of american politics He's got a channel, like a channel to the White House, or no? I wouldn't say that. It, no, it's it's not that. It's just that he's important to the point of being decisive. What what he does matters, and what happens to him matters mm-hmm. in American politics and American society at a higher level than not just in his lifetime, yes, but, yes. but okay, a, really right. any leader of the Black Freedom Struggle be, before or since. That when they do the analysis. They do the obviously after any political election, different mm-hmm. people have different interests claiming mm-hmm. what caused one side to win or the other, right? Like Daddy King says, because he switched from being a Republican to right. voting Democrat, that he changed the election. But it's credible, and there's the numbers to demonstrate it that uh, black votes moving in the North changes the election in places like Pennsylvania, Illinois, and so forth. Right. That now, and, and, Kennedy is is uncomfortable about this, but it's true. And so it's important just in the sense that the stature of King and the importance of the movement uh, is now at a higher level. It doesn't guarantee yes. that the Kennedy administration is going to do everything right or that they're going to listen to King. In fact, um, Roy Wilkins gets nervous and frustrated because even in the transition, Kennedy starts slow walking the civil rights agenda. So... The point is not that the Democrats will save the day. The point is, is yes, Bruce, you can't do politics in America without thinking about the black freedom struggle anymore. And Dr. King in particular. Good point. Good point. And I guess what I rail against is just the the notion that I think there's a false notion that JFK was a crusader for civil rights. Maybe that has been diminished in the last 10, 20 years. Um, but he was such a beloved president he was assassinated and so maybe branch doesn't write it that way but um all the gains made are not due to him it's because of the uh ed nixons and lawson's of the world you know so um and this again was such a small act but i guess branch does a nice job of explaining how even this tiny little act of calling coretta star king and getting uh Getting King out of a BS prison sentiment, as small as that was, you know, it was important for the civil rights movement and the election. I'm less interested in the election, but it is important for the civil rights movement because if not, he's still in jail. And who knows? And what happens if, if Nixon wins? Would he still be in jail? Where would we go from there? If Nixon gets elected, 
is there power? Is there a reason to try to move political forces to get him out? Um, I mean, things would be different. Who knows? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think as it's from the point of the story in this book, it's, I think it's more important about the light that's reflected back on King, right? Like if you think about, I don't know, what would the parallel be? It's kind of hard to find one. But all the stuff that you've read about labor history from the Haymarket Massacre mm-hmm. to the Wobblies and everything else, right? It's the, the labor movement doesn't stand at the center of American politics until the 30s, yeah, until yeah. you have uh, FDR and a Congress able to react. Um, and now we have politicians at the highest level reacting to the black freedom struggle. And I, I think that's why this moment matters. Right, right. All right, well, that is the end of Chapter 9. So we finally did a two-chapter episode. Um, And now we are done with Eisenhower as the president. Our next chapter, we are going to get into, you know, the Kennedy's administration and, you know, things are moving forward. So thank you for listening and listen to us next time. Bye. Bye.